What a beautiful name it is. Won't you say it out loud? Jesus. Say it out loud. Jesus. We'll run the demons out of here. They can't stay. And his name is said out loud. There's no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. It's it. So today's going to be the final session in the series of called While We Wait. And I want you to notice this guy shining the light out into the darkness. And I want you to understand what that is. That's this. And the Holy Spirit promises to reveal the Word to us. The Holy Spirit enlightens us to be able to see and experience the Word of God, which is called truth. The power of prayer. I told you last Sunday that this entire series, these five D's, actually came while I was praying. And it was all initiated when I began praying years ago, Isaiah 62, when it, when it talks about the, how you were supposed to pray fervently for Jerusalem. So kind of, I want to kind of walk through that again like I did last week because it really was what brought all of this together. I started to pray something like this. Lord, I pray that I would not rest nor give you rest until you've made Jerusalem and Jerusalem's king the praise of the whole earth. And while I wait for that to happen, when while I wait, which is where this series comes from, like I, like I planned that, I did not. And while I wait, I pray that I would not fall into temptation. I pray that while I wait, <clears throat> I could not be deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged, or disheartened. But that we'd be strong enough to escape these coming horrors. That's the tribulation. And stand before the Son of Man. And I pray for a sense of urgency equal to the days that are left. And a faith that would not fail you or dishonor your name even unto death or great loss. Well, I began, that, that's just something that culminated over a period of time and began praying that. And as I was praying that is when these five days became a pattern in my heart. And I'm, I'm convinced looking back that God was plotting out, revealing something to me. And when I said, oh, the power of prayer, you and I think we pray to talk to God. Yeah, but when you pray, he's, he's communicating with you. I have no clue how that happens. I just know that he does it. And, and when I'm praying, it's like this, this download of information comes into me that I don't even know that got downloaded until later something happens and it's there at the right time. And I know something that I didn't know before. The power of prayer. It's this open channel. That, and I, I think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, uh, God to Jeremiah says, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you. And this prayer is this, this moment in which you seek and you open up this channel. And through this channel, you, you start to become one with him. Uh, I'm, I'm talking to him and he's talking to me and he's giving me what I need. And I don't ever give him what he needs because he already has everything. But it's just opening the channel up. And in that... Here's what he showed me. Do not fall into temptation. Now, I got to tell you something, and you'll get it at the end. This message is for the church. It's not for unbelievers. It's, it's not like that unbelievers won't need the message. That's not it. I, I'll tell you at the end why I say that. 
Satan has a method. He's got this tactic. He doesn't need to get the heart of unbelievers. He already has the heart of unbelievers. He's after the heart of believers. He's after you. He's after me. So God revealed something to me that I needed to be careful and communicate. It began with deceived. To believe something that's not true, typically in order to gain some personal advantage. It all begins with deception. And then you get distracted. And distracted is to be unable to focus or concentrate on the things of heaven or the things of God because you're preoccupied with the things of the world. You just, you're too busy. And then it leads to dis, dis, dissuaded. And the idea of being dissuaded is to persuade somebody to not take a particular course of action. And the simplicity of the gospel is wash and be clean. Come to Jesus, wash and be clean. Come to me, I will purify you. But you're not going to do it because you're dissuaded. Because you're already deceived and now you're distracted. So it's easy to dissuade you from something once you become deceived and distracted. And that brought up number four we covered last week. You become discouraged. You lose your courage. You lose your confidence. You lose your enthusiasm. How many people in the last 22 years have I seen come into church with enthusiasm and the next thing you know, they don't have any enthusiasm. Their enthusiasm is this. When will he be done? That's it. You're discouraged. Something has happened. And discouragement doesn't just happen. It's a series of events. You got deceived. You got distracted. You got dissuaded. And now, guess what? You're discouraged. And that leads us today. And I'm going to tell you, they are sequential. They are in order. And they build. And this is the deadliest last one. To be disheartened. If you look up the definition, it is having lost your determination and become dispirited. So the dis, notice the dispirited, to, to separate the spirit. Maybe a better definition, it is to become downhearted, to become disheartened is to become downhearted, to become depressed. Here's my definition. You lose your heart. You lose it. Disheartened is to lose your heart. It's what happens after you lose your courage. When you lose your courage, you lose your heart. Nobody who is courageous loses their heart. You lost your heart because you lost your courage. It's at the end of the road. These fives, these five Ds are at the end of the road, and it's a very dark place to be dis. Heartened. Your heart has been drawn away by God. Systematically, your heart has been drawn away from God. Did you notice that it's a step-by-step process? Satan doesn't just come in and grab your heart. He, he doesn't have that kind of power. So how does he do it? You're deceived. And then you get distracted. And then you get dissuaded to not do what you know you're supposed to do. And then you get discouraged. You become fearful until suddenly you look up one day and your heart has been drawn away and you don't even have a clue how it happened. You lose your heart. This series is called While We Wait. And while we wait, we are in a spiritual war like never before. The war, listen church, 
is for your heart. This battle in the heavenly realms between God and the adversary, Satan, he wants your heart. God wants your heart. Satan wants your heart. It's a battle for your heart, for your soul, which is the essence of who you really are, not your body. He wants your heart. While we wait, we are at war. When God used Moses to deliver Israel out of Egypt, God tried to prepare the people for war. He tried to prepare them for the reality that they were going to enter the wilderness and they were going to experience a physical and a spiritual battle. Are you with me? A physical and a spiritual war as they made their way toward the promised land. There would be many battles on the way to the promised land. So God was trying to prepare Israel to be able to survive the wilderness on the way to the promised land. Anybody think that has relevance right now? We are in that wilderness. We're on our way to the promised land and we will face battles. So let's go back and look at the instructions that God gave to Moses to Israel so that they might endure the wilderness battles and make it survive making it to the promised land. Here we go. Deuteronomy 20, verse 1. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. There's that courage. Do not be afraid of them. Why? Because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. When you, when you are about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. So here comes the spiritual encountering the physical. When you're about to go into war, the priest, the spirit leader, will come and address the military leaders. What's he going to say? He shall say, Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not be terrified or give way to panic before your adversary, before the enemy. Why? For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Do you believe, so with that scene, God is preparing the Israelites to survive the physical and the spiritual battles of the wilderness. Do you think that has any relevance to the church? Let me ask you a question. Do you actually believe that the church, the body of Christ, the church is the unstoppable movement of God? Do you believe that? Because I do. I believe the church is not a man-made anything. The church is the unstoppable body of Christ, the unstoppable movement of God in the last days. Because I do. Jesus says that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail or stop it. So I believe that the church already has victory. The question is, who's going to survive the wilderness? The promised land is already ours through Jesus Christ. He's unstoppable. There is no power that can intervene in Jesus and say, nope, can't go any further. The question is, who's going to survive the wilderness battle? Now, if you really believed 
that God was going to go with you in the wilderness against your enemies and fight for you, then why would you be afraid? If you really believe today that the church is the body of Christ, that it is Jesus living on the earth through the Holy Spirit in us in the last days, why would you ever be afraid? Why would you ever be afraid? Why would you ever be, feel like you're defeated? You wouldn't. You know what it's called? When you actually believe that the church is the, the movement of God, unstoppable movement of God, and you believe that there's no way that we could be defeated, that even if they come and kill us, I have the resurrection from the dead. So what did you really, you didn't do anything, just got me to heaven in front of you. That's all you did. So if you really believe that, it's called faith. And then when God gives this instruction to Israel about don't be afraid in the wilderness when you fight the battle because I'm going to go fight with you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Then he gives this very unusual instruction. At least I find it unusual. Deuteronomy 20 verse 8. And then the officers shall add. It's the same context. Is, is any man afraid or faint-hearted? Well, who isn't afraid sometimes in war? Is any man afraid or faint-hearted? Let him go home so that his brothers will not become disheartened too. Do you, do you find that's unusual? You come to this army, and they're about to go into war with this adversary, and, and the instruction from God is this. If any man is afraid or faint-hearted, y'all go to home. Y'all go to the house. We don't want you in here. Did you know that being afraid means you've lost your courage, you become discouraged, terrified, given to panic, and disheartened, do you know it's contagious? You ever been around somebody who's faint-hearted, who's afraid all the time? Do you know it's contagious? Fear is a cancer that can draw your heart away from God. God clearly instructed Israel, don't be afraid. I got this. If your heart belongs to God, then why would you be afraid? Because he's got this. But what would happen in that moment that your heart got drawn away? Then suddenly fear comes. The church is the same thing. Fear is the enemy of faith and the lack of faith. Listen, church. Fear is the enemy of faith and the lack of faith is deadly. Because faith is confidence. Faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you cannot see. Faith is to be confident in the promises of God. A divided heart is to be disheartened, is called, are you ready? It's called idolatry. Your heart has been drawn away from its devotion to the one true God, and your heart, disheartened, has been drawn away to believe someone or something else. Do you know how dangerous this condition is? And yes, it is contagious. And I, I want to make a confession here. I don't like to hang around with the fearful people. I don't like to. So there are people that I come in contact with in the church that are always afraid. I don't like to hang out with you. See, that's a confession. I don't like to hang out with you. You know why? Because you don't make me strong and courageous. You make me aggravated. 
You, you're taking away when we ought to be building each other up. You're not adding to my faith. You're not making me stronger in this war. You're trying to make me weaker in this war. And I need you to make me stronger, and I need to be the one making you stronger. So when I associate myself with people who are always fearful, and they're always whining, and they're always complaining because they're afraid of everything, I just kind of like to distance myself from those people. Why? Because it's contagious. Did you notice that in this story, in this story of Moses and Israel, he says, anybody's afraid, disheartened, they're, they're, they're prone to panic, send them to the house. Why? Because they infect the rest of you. They infect you. So God has revealed a danger. To become discouraged, to become afraid, to become disheartened is to lose heart. Now, you might say, well, that's the Old Testament. You know, we live in the New Testament. Okay, you want to take that argument? Because here we go. The Apostle Paul then quotes the Old Testament Israelites in the wilderness And he does it in the church age in the New Testament. I want to read it to you. It's in Romans uh, 10, verse 5. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. So the law. Now, this is New Testament. Saying that back in the Old Testament, the law required obedience. There were these 613 Jewish mitzvahs, 613 rules about what you could eat, what you couldn't eat, what you could wear, and all that stuff. That's the law's way. And I'm not making light of that. That's what God did in the Old Testament. But faith's way. Now, now this is our time. But faith's way of getting right with God says this. Don't say in your heart. Now suddenly the heart has moved in. Don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And don't say, who will go down to the place of the dead to bring back Christ to life again? In fact, it says what? The faith's way says the message. I'm going to hold it up. The message is very close at hand. It's on your lips. And where is the message? It's on your lips. It's on your lips. Well, how did it get on your lips? Because it's in your heart. There's a message in your heart that makes its way out of your lips. That's faith's way. Stay with me. And the message, and that message is the very message about faith that we preach. And what is that? If, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's the lips part, and believe in your heart, that's how it gets to your lips, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Can we do something real silly? How many of y'all like to be saved? Raise your hand. There's a few of y'all that aren't even sure. (laughs) If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There's something's got to happen in your heart before it never come out of your lips. And just doing it with your lips, apart from your heart, is not it. It's not called faith. Stay with me. Verse 10. For it is by believing in your heart. It is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth, after you believe in your heart, that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him. Now we're going to get some practical application. So what does it mean to believe in my heart? and confess with my mouth. 
It is equal to trusting in him. If you're in the wilderness and you get afraid, then who are you trusting in? If you're in the church and you become fearful, who are you trusting in? Anyone who trusts in him will never be put, never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. While we wait. While we wait for Jerusalem's king. That's what I'm waiting for. While we're waiting for Jerusalem's king to come. There is a spiritual war raging. It was raging in the time of Moses. It's raging now. It is raging for a single objective. Listen. The heart of man. He wants the heart of man. To whom, let's ask the church a question. To whom does your heart belong right now? Do you know? Can you tell? Can you be deceived? To whom does your heart belong right now? Do you, let, me, let me help you answer the question. Whom have you put your trust in? That will determine who has your heart. Who do you trust? Who have you put in charge of your life, in authority in your life. What do you believe in your heart today? Do you believe death has no power over you because of the resurrection? Then why would you be afraid to die? You ever thought about it? If you believe, if you believe literally, spiritually, physically, if you believe that if you die, immediately, if you are in Christ, that immediately your person, your soul, your spirit is immediately transported into the presence of God. Immediately transported to be with God. Why would you be afraid? Listen, I don't say that to make anybody feel uncomfortable. I'm trying to bring us into touch with reality. Who do you put your trust in? The worst case scenario is you die is the best case scenario, you just get to heaven before the rest of us. You see Jesus before me. God wants us to love him. And what's the measurement with all your heart? It has to be something that happens on the inside. What do you think disheartened is when you're unable to do that? Because your heart has been led away. You can't love him with all your heart because somebody else got it already. Satan wants to take your heart away from God. It is to be disheartened, disheartened. And he uses these five things to do it. I'm not saying they're all inclusive. It just happens to be what God revealed to me. They begin with deceived. He has to start with deceived. He's got to trick you. Somehow he's got to deceive you. And then, then you get distracted, and then you get dissuaded, and then you get discouraged, and then you, you get disheartened. So let me give you an example. I, I want to put all this into a physical example. In the early church, the people were selling properties and bringing the money to the apostles to use to expand the gospel. And when I bring that up, I always think, I wonder how many people just now got nervous. When you're talking about the church starting to sell your stuff off and give it to the poor and give it to the advancement of the king. Then I always notice when you say that, people start to get that squirm in the seat thing going on. Oh, no, he's not going there, is he? You know what the early church figured out? They had experienced 
the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they came to this simple conclusion. Nothing else matters. That's it. This, this is a group of people in the first century that came to this simple conclusion. Nothing else matters. Did you know nothing else matters? If you got Jesus, you got everything. You don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. You got the resurrection, you got everything. You don't have the resurrection, you got nothing. And they got it. They really got it. It was so overwhelming that they said, I don't need all this stuff. I don't need all this stuff. They were just selling the stuff, bringing it, and they were using the money to advance the gospel, send people out with the message of Christ. What a crazy notion. It's how the church began. They believed, listen, in their hearts. They believed in their hearts that nothing else mattered anymore because of Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. You know how simple that conclusion is? But you know how difficult that conclusion is to hold on to? So, here's my physical example. The gospel in that moment is spreading like wildfire. Many people are given their hearts, fully given their hearts to God, okay? This is crazy because there's a bunch of people that realize nothing else really matters. This is it. So they're, they're selling their stuff. They're, they're readjusting their lives to being disciples of Jesus Christ and, and bringing it, trying to advance the kingdom. And in that moment, Satan enters the story. Oh, it's so clear. Satan enters the story. And how did he enter the story of people giving their hearts fully to God and realizing nothing else really matters? How did he do it? I want to read it to you. Acts 5, verse 1. But there was a certain man named Ananias who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. Now I'm going to pause. I'm going to connect the story. Everybody was doing it. Not everybody, but all the believers who had, were all in. All the all-in believers, they were getting rid of all their stuff that to accumulate some money to send out these people to spread the gospel, to fund the mission of the gospel. So Ananias and Sapphira, they thought, well, hey, let's jump in. Let's jump in. This is pretty cool. Let's jump in. So they sold some property. Verse 2, he, Ananias, brought part of the money to the apostles. And that in itself is not the problem. That's not the problem. The problem is this, claiming it was the full amount. Anybody see a half-hearted experience taking place here? I would like for y'all to think all of my heart's in this, but in reality, only part of my heart's in this because I have entered the first D. I am deceived. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. And then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan do what? Why have you let Satan do what? Feel your heart. Do you see where it happens? Ananias has become disheartened. He would like to pretend like he's all in, except there's a problem. He's not all in. He's still not all in. It's not, he, he didn't have to, the requirement to come to faith in Christ wasn't sell all your property. That's not the requirement. Many people were doing it because they come to the realization nothing else matters anyway. But that's not the requirement. The requirement is you got to come to the truth. You don't come lie to the Holy Spirit. Why do you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. You know the story? 
Ananias dropped dead. His wife comes in. She lies about it. She drops dead. How would you like to go to that church? I wonder how many people they had next Sunday. There are so many things that draw your heart away from God. They are tools of Satan. They, they draw your heart away. Fear, doubt, money, power, pleasure. Deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged. Disheartened. I keep going back to God's instruction to Israel as they start out toward the promised land. Don't be afraid. I got this. I'll go with you. I'll fight for you. All you got to do is just hang in with me. Do you think the message to the church is any different? I got this. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. All you got to do is stay in fellowship with me. You stay with me, you'll get to the promised land. But you got to stay with me. Yes, church, the wilderness will have many battles. There are physical battles and there are spiritual battles. But God has promised to go with us and fight for us if we would keep him in the right place where? In our heart, in the center of our heart. All of our heart, soul, mind, strength. In the time of Moses, the journey started with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Do you know what the pillar? Here, here are these, these two million people are walking out of Egypt. 400 years of bondage. And now they're walking out of Egypt, entering the wilderness, going to the promised land. They've got a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud going with them, in front of them, behind them, daytime, nighttime. What is the pillar of cloud? What is the pillar of fire? It is the presence of God. I'm going with you. So I can look out that window right now. I don't see a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. So what do we get? You get the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you what you get is better than what they got. Because he's not on the outside of you. He's on the inside of you. Do you understand this? Some of you say, well, if I had a pillar of cloud, I wouldn't be afraid. You have the Holy Spirit of Christ living inside of you. Why are you afraid? The Holy Spirit belongs to those who have given their hearts to God through faith. Christ in me. What does it mean? Christ is in my heart. He's in me. Think about it. I will go with you into the wilderness. I won't be a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud on the outside of you. I will be on the inside of you working through you to get you to the promised land. So do you trust God in this present wilderness journey while we wait? Or are you afraid? Be honest. Come on, be honest with yourself. You don't have to answer out loud. Are you fearful these days? I find that much of the church is afraid. You're afraid of how you're going to be received if you hold to the truth. You're afraid of what they're going to say at work. They're, you're afraid of what they're going to say at school. You're, you're, you're afraid of everything. Why are you afraid? Has someone got your heart? Do you trust God's provision for food, clothing, shelter, protection? That he's going to keep his promises? You know, when I read the story about them, the first century church selling all their possessions and advancing the gospel, you know, people start to get nervous when you start talking about that. Is he going to say we got to sell all our stuff? And now people start to think like that. Well, 
Is that stuff keeping you? Does that stuff have your heart? If that stuff has your heart, you, you, you should get rid of it. You better get rid of it. You see, this is what Jesus said. And I'm going to ask you before I read it. Do you believe him? Because I really do. Um, Luke 12, 32. So don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. I don't know what that does to you. That flat out, encur it, that encourages me. He says, Jesus says that his father is excited about giving me the kingdom. I'm a nobody from Bertie. Why would the father, the creator of all things, be excited about giving me the kingdom? Because he is good. Now, here we go. Sell your possessions. Give it to those in need. I see everybody squirming in their seats right now. Sell your possessions. Give it to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven, they never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever. What's the deal with this stuff? Wherever your treasure is. Do you believe him? Do you think, nah, 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 that might have been true back then, not now. You don't know what it's like now. Wherever your treasure is, the desire of your heart will also be. Your heart and your treasure. Your heart and your treasure. Who's got your heart? Well, find out where your treasure's at. You'll find out what's got your heart. Find your treasure, you'll find your heart. Say, listen, church, Satan is real. He's attacking us while we wait. Do not be deceived. Do not be distracted, dissuaded, discouraged, or disheartened. Look and see what your life is pursuing, and you're going to find the destination or the destiny of your heart. So everybody, let's just take a break for a second. And I want you to look back at the last six months, one year of your life. What are you pursuing? What are you after? I'll give you a second. What's your life's pursuit? What are you doing? You get a certain amount of days. What are you doing with them? Are you pursuing the accumulation of wealth? Is that your goal? That if I got enough stuff, I got enough house, I got enough money, I got enough in retirement, 401k, no, 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 no. You think that's going to save you on the last day? Here's my conclusion. This is the end of the series. So I've drawn some personal conclusions, just personal conclusions for the church today. The modern, I'll call it the modern American church. The church has become discouraged and disheartened. The last two, they're here in this room. They're here on this campus. The church has become discouraged and heartened, disheartened because the church has become worldly. We were supposed to be separate. And we became worldly. We were supposed to be the ones who spent our lives storing up treasures in heaven instead of trying to accumulate wealth upon the earth. We became worldly. And somehow we got deceived. And then we got distracted. And then we got dissuaded. And then we got discouraged and became disheartened. The first century church was getting rid of everything. 
You ever notice that? Did you read the book of Acts? The first century church was getting rid of everything that hindered the Holy Spirit's mission in their hearts. Nothing else really matters. And I got to tell you, I've said this multiple times. When I look at the modern American church, we don't look anything like the church in the book of Acts. If you want to disagree with me, go ahead. It's fine. I, I don't, in this regard, we don't look anything like them. These five Ds are deadly tools of Satan. He's very good at this game of deceit. God gives us a warning about this deadly deception of Satan. God warns us about becoming disheartened to allow our heart to be turned away, drawn away from him. Today, the Holy Spirit cries out a warning about the danger of becoming disheartened, about allowing Satan, the adversary, to secretly draw away from your heart from the full devotion of God. A divided heart is a divided loyalty. So here's what it looks like. It's the idea, church. And remember I said earlier when I started today, this message is for a church. It's not for the lost outside. There's a message for the lost in here. But this message is for the church. Here's why I say that. Satan has given the modern American church the idea that you can have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. And you can do both in the same person. You can't do it. And if you think you can fake out God, you can give him a little head fake. You've been deceived. Because right now, listen, he knows my heart. He knows your heart. This moment, he knows you. He knows whether you have given him all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or whether you think you're playing some little head fake with the creator of the universe. He knows. And today the Holy Spirit cries out a warning to the church. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament, listen, uses Moses' wilderness journey to illustrate the spiritual battle of the church age. I did it in the beginning. It's in the book of Hebrews. The, the parallel is real. Here we go. Hebrews 3, 7. This is why the Holy Spirit says, today, when you hear His voice, in other words, when the Holy Spirit comes and says, uh, 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 listen, today, when you hear His voice, do not harden what? Your heart. Because that's where it's going to come into. Do not harden your hearts as Israel did. He's talking to the church, but he's linking the failure of the church of the last days to the failure of Israel in the wilderness. Do not harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There, your ancestors tested my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I, God, was angry with them, Israel, and I said... Their hearts, why does this heart keep coming up? Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So, I, in my anger, this is God, in my anger, I, God, took an oath. I'm going to tell you what, when God takes an oath, God takes an oath. In my anger, I took an oath. What's the oath? They will never enter my place of rest. Anybody listen? What was it that made him take that oath? Their hearts always turn away from me. 
In my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. And here comes the warning to the New Testament church. Be careful then. He's talking to us. Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts, church people, are not evil and unbelieving. And what would that look like? Turning away, turning away. Your heart turning away from the living God. How? How can I make sure that my heart doesn't turn away from the living God, becoming disheartened? Okay, preacher, you got me a little nervous right now. How can I make sure that that's not me? How can I keep from being deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged, disheartened? How? You must, church, you must remain in fellowship with Christ. There are people in the room that say, you cannot become out of fellowship with Christ. I respectfully disagree with you. And the warning is evidence of the danger of just that. You must remain in fellowship with Christ, living and walking by faith in Christ. Let me put it another way. If the Holy Spirit reigns in your heart, if every day the Holy Spirit reigns, that means He's got power and authority over you. If He reigns in your heart, you will not become disheartened. You, you're not going to become disheartened while He's reigning inside of you. But what would happen if you started to pull, something started to pull your heart away? How do we specifically ensure that our heart is devoted in fellowship? Let me ask the one that Jesus loved. That's how John describes himself. In 1 John 2, 24, this is what the Word of God says. Not, this is not somebody's opinion. This is what the Word of God says. So you must remain faithful. Now listen, if it's not possible for you to not do that, then why does he say you must do it? You must remain faithful to what you've been taught from the beginning. If you do, what if you don't? If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. But you must remain faithful. And this, in this fellowship, we enjoy the internal, eternal life. There's the promised land that He promised us. I am writing these things to warn you. Why does He warn you if there's no chance that you can draw away? Why does He warn you? Because you can. And because they do. And because many are. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. But you received the Holy Spirit, and He lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what He teaches is true. It's not a lie. So just as He taught you, remain, remain, abide in fellowship. How do I keep from getting deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged? Remain, abide, 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 abide. In what? In this, in prayer, in fellowship. That's how you don't get distracted. Remain in fellowship with Christ so that when He returns, you will be full of courage. When I say sometimes, in the, I believe in the imminent, the soon return of Christ, some people get nervous, like they're afraid of that event. I'm thinking, afraid of that event? Everything in my life desires that event. 
It's the only thing that's going to fix this broken world, our broken lives, is His coming. You'll be full of courage and not shrink back to Him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. Listen, church, I'm making this very clear. You must remain faithful to keep your laser focus during this wilderness journey. Satan wants to take your eyes off of this laser focus that sets your thoughts on the things above, on the things of heaven, on the things of God. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Just stay focused. Stay focused. Stay focused. Remain in fellowship with Christ, and you'll be full of courage. You must hold on to the truth of God's Word, His promises in the wilderness journey while we wait. If you do, if you do, you'll remain in fellowship with the Son. You'll remain in fellowship with the Father. But if you don't, there is a danger, there is a warning, and somebody today told you. In 1 John 2, 26, I'm going to read it again. I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. Do you see the danger? Deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged, disheartened. The Apostle John was full of the Holy Spirit, and he has revealed the way to remain in fellowship with Christ and to have victory over Satan. In fact, these are the final two verses of John's first letter. Verse 30, uh, uh, 23 and 24. Let me read them. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Those who obey God's commandment, listen, those who obey. So is, is obedience an issue? Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with Him. So if you're in the church today and God's law, God's truth has revealed there's something in your life that's wrong. You need to make an adjustment. If he is directed, there is sin in your life that you refuse to deal with. Whatever it might be. Listen to what he says. I'll find it in a minute. <laughs> that happens to me when I get excited. Those who obey God's commandments... Remain in fellowship. What happens if you don't remain in fellowship? It's the whole warning. It's the whole warning. This entire thing is about, that's the warning. So the Holy Spirit says to you, okay, there's this area of your life that you've got to deal with. Then deal with it. Deal with it. I don't want to. Who has removed fellowship? Did God remove his fellowship from you? No. Who removed fellowship? You did. Because you withdrew yourself from the truth. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with Him and He with them. And we know He lives in us. How? Because the Spirit He gave us lives in us. And what if you don't? And what if that voice who tells you you need to deal with this, what if you don't? Well, you will become disheartened. You will lose your heart to another because it is that other power, spiritual power, that's telling you, don't do it. Dissuade it. Don't do it. Wash and be clean. Nope. 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 So, I'm going to summarize and stop. 
Five days. That's what God gave me while I was praying for the king of kings to come to Jerusalem. I realized something. This is really important. This is, this is as personal as I can get today. I realize there are people here in the room right now and watching this service online today that take this message very seriously. And, and, and the reason I say that, because you're all in. I know, I know a bunch of you personally, and a bunch of you, I know you're all in. That your heart, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, you're in. You're in. I know you are, because I know you. And there are many in this church, and, and the reason I say that, because I want you to know that maybe you've never known it, maybe I haven't even told you, but you're the ones who inspire me. I've been preaching here for almost 22 years now. And I've got a lot of opportunities to get discouraged and disheartened. But what happens is there's people in this church that inspire me. There are people in this church, you don't make me afraid when I hang out with you. You make me strong and very courageous because I see the same holy fire in you. And, I, and you make me stronger. You make me more determined than ever. I like to hang out with you. Not these fearful people. In fact, I, in the first service, I gave a couple names. I, I did. Some of y'all know Warren Marshall. Warren Marshall is one of my spiritual heroes. That man inspires me. He goes on these mission trips. He's way older than I am. He goes on these mission trips, and he's just got this humble, pure heart before God. And I hang out with him. I come out of that, I come out of that strong. I do. Just hanging out with him makes me strong. And um, Doug Cox. This man is one of the most passionate Jesus people I have ever met. You can't shut him up when it comes to Jesus. <laughs> he wears me out. But you know what? Every time I hang out with Doug Cox, I get stronger. Do you know this is the whole concept of the church? Is that the church comes together and we pour into each other and we we keep ourselves from being deceived and we keep ourselves from being distracted and we keep ourselves from being dissuaded. So I never get discouraged. If I just hung out with fearful people, I'd get discouraged. And I'm going to tell you in a minute why. And then I'd become disheartened. Because I preach to a whole lot of people who aren't listening. And I preach to a whole lot of people who don't get it. And they're not all in. There's two guys in the church. Both of them are in the first service. Doug Voorhees and Perry Carrico, I got no closer brothers than those two guys. If I had anything, if I was in trouble, I could call either one of them. Man, they'd be right there. I need those people in my lives. You need those people in your lives. That's the church. And I got to tell you, I got to shout out to these elders here. That, you know, I work for the elders of this church. They're my boss. I got no, I, there's nobody in my life that has done more to strengthen and encourage and make me successful in these 22 years than those guys. That's the church. There are many in this church that inspire me. That's the whole concept. That's why God put us together in the wilderness because we're at war and the adversary is real and some people aren't going to make it. I also realize, I told you I realize there's people who are all in. I realize something too. You might not like what I'm about to say, but I, I'm going to speak the truth. I realize there are people here today, there are people watching this service online today, and you are not all in. And you don't take this seriously. In fact, you can't wait till I shut up. 
And saying that out loud, just merely standing here in front of you today and acknowledging that I understand there are people that are in the audience on every Sunday that are all in and there are people who are not in. Just saying that could be disheartening and could be discouraging to me. It could be. Because I want all of you to believe. I want all of you to get to the promised land. I want all of you to make it to heaven. Yes, I do. I don't want a single person. I've never met anybody, no, no matter how evil, no matter how wicked, no matter how lost, that I wanted to go to hell. Never met that person. The Holy Spirit has used the Old Testament Scripture to keep me focused. I'm about to read it to you. So that I would not become discouraged or disheartened when people hear the Word and they still turn their hearts away from God. Because I preach every Sunday the best I know how. And I, I, I cry out the urgency to come into Christ. Every Sunday I cry it out. Our staff, we cry it out. It's our heart cry to bring people into the kingdom. But I realize that the more we cry it out, many just aren't getting it. They're just not getting it. So here's what keeps me in. Ezekiel 2.1. God said, stand up, son of man. That's what he called Ezekiel. I want to speak with you. The Spirit came into me as he spoke. And he set me on my feet. I listened carefully to his words. Son of man, he said, I am sending you to the nation of Israel, a rebellious nation that has, re rebelled, that, that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been rebelling against me to this very day. They are a stubborn and hard-hearted. There's that heart thing. They are stubborn and hard-hearted people. But I am sending you to say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, and whether they listen or refuse to listen, for remember, they are rebels, at least they will know that they have had a prophet among them. Now listen, I do not claim to be a prophet of God, but I do proclaim today that God has called me to be a watchman. And my calling is supposed to warn people about the perils of a divided heart before God. And when you leave to here today, you will know this for sure. The love of God puts you here today so somebody would tell you, God loves you. And you must give him all of your heart. I know there are many today who have given their hearts fully to God. May the Lord continue to bless you. Yes, the wilderness journey is difficult and filled with many troubles. But we know how the story ends for those whose hearts are fully devoted to God. As for me, I want to say something. I know what I have to do. I'm going to keep preaching the Word of God as long as I got breath. I'm going to preach. And if it is popular, I'll preach it. If it is unpopular, I'll preach it harder. Some will listen and some won't. But I know that God has called me for such a time as this. He has also given me a hard head. This hard head has kept me from becoming discouraged and disheartened when so many over the years have rejected the message that has been spoken in this church. I have literally, listen, I have literally watched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, half-hearted people, come into this church and leave this church in the past 22 years. Do you understand that? It's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have come in, heard the message, and they leave. Come in, stay a while, and then they leave. 
Why would you not become discouraged? Even with that, even with those who have remained, you want to know the truth? Half of the people who attend Nineveh Christian Church, half of those attend 26 weeks out of 52. Do you know why preachers quit? That's it. You preach what you believe is the way to be saved from the fire of hell. And many won't listen. So I'm going to ask you a question. If the average attendance at Nineveh is 50%, what did you think a divided heart would look like? You answer. I told you this message is for the church. Do you think people who have given all their hearts to God would have a hard time gathering on Sunday to worship the one who saved their souls from hell? Really? Do you think people who have given all their heart to God, all in, would have a hard time coming in here on Sunday morning and worshiping the one who rescued you from the fire of hell? No, no, you wouldn't. You'd be wondering why we only do it on Sundays. Do you think people who have given all their hearts to God have a hard time tithing or giving 10% of the income to the church to fund the work of sharing the gospel? They were selling everything they had in the first century. What did you think a divided heart would look like? Kind of hits home, doesn't it? You see, it would be so easy to get discouraged and disheartened by some of these modern-day church statistics. But I know the Word of God. I know how this thing is going to end. You know what the modern-day church statistic, maybe at least in America, church attendance is on a free fall. We're, we're losing the entire younger generation. They're going to universities and everything we poured in them, what few Sundays we got them here, they're draining it out faster than we can put it in. Church attendance is plummeting. People who claim no religion is on the increase. Christianity is on the decrease. And if you define true evangelical Christianity, very few are remaining. All in. It would be easy to get discouraged unless you knew how this thing ends. You see, the Holy Spirit has revealed it to me through the prophet Ezekiel. Here we go. Ezekiel 3 verse 7. But the people of Israel won't listen to you any more than they listen to me. For the whole lot of them are hard-headed and stubborn. But look, I have made you as obstinate and hard-headed as they are. Hallelujah. I have made your forehead as hard as the hardest rock. So don't be afraid of them or fear their angry looks, even though they are rebels. And then he added, Son of man, let all my words, I'm going to hold it up, let all my words sink deep. Let all of my words sink deep inside your own heart first. Don't be trying to give them what you don't have. Let all my words sink deep into your own heart first. And listen to them carefully for yourself. Before you try to share them, you better get it. And then... And then go to your people in exile and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Do this whether they listen to you or not. There you go. You know what keeps me? That keeps me. 
do this whether they listen or not. Just keep preaching. While we wait, this is my plan to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ whether people listen or not. This chapter 3 of Ezekiel is the same chapter that God used on me 20 plus years ago when he called me into the ministry to be a watchman. This calling has not changed. In fact, I think it's become even more clear. I am more obstinate and hard-headed now than I used to be. My forehead is as hard as the hardest rock, which fully exclaims, explains why my mama said, why are you so hard-headed? I think my mama was a prophet. The truth is he has set my face like flint toward his word. Because I believe this is our only hope. And here's the scripture that called me into the ministry 20-something years ago. Ezekiel 3.16. After seven days, the Lord gave me a message. He said, Son of man, I have appointed you as a watchman for Israel. Whenever you receive a message from me, warn the people immediately. If I warn the wicked, saying you are under the penalty of death, but you fail to deliver the warning. They will die in their sins. Notice how he describes it. There's a group of people that even though you warn them, they're going to die in their sins. And I will hold you responsible for their death if you refuse to warn them. But if you warn them and they refuse to repent and keep on sinning, they will die in their sins but you will have saved yourself because you obeyed me. This is my final word today. If your heart, church, is turned away from the living God, if your heart is divided and turned away from the living God, you will die in your sins. If your heart is divided between this world and Christ, you will die in your sins unforgiven. The creator of the universe has issued a solemn and holy command. It is not a suggestion to the inhabitants of planet earth. It is clear. It is succinct. It is within your reach. Jesus calls it the greatest and most important commandment. The Jewish people call it the Shema. Here it is, Mark 12, 29. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God. And you must love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. You know what the word all means? All. It's a commandment. A divided heart is not called faith. It's called deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged, and disheartened. One foot in the world and one foot in heaven is not called faith. You never heard that from me. You never heard that in this church. This is what you heard from the church. It's called truth. 1 John 2.15 Do not love this world. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love this world, there's your heart. You've given your heart to this world. When you love this world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. 
The love of the Father is the Holy Spirit in me. The love of the Father is Christ in me. Christ living out His divine will and purpose in a fully surrendered heart. This all your heart commandment is your salvation. This is faith. And this is the way to make peace with God and receive forgiveness of sin. One way, one truth, one life, Christ in me. In my fully surrendered heart, Christ in me. But there's an alternative. To be deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged, and disheartened. This is where the deadly deception and apostasy goes. Satan, here's the truth. Satan already has the heart of the lost world. He already has the full heart of the lost world. Lost people don't have a divided heart. They're all in with Satan already. They don't have a divided heart. But Satan deceives church people. Satan deceives church people into believing you can have both the world and God. He deceives church people. Why do you think Jesus says in the last days, many will say to me on the day, Lord, Lord, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. He says, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. Who do you think says that? Church people. The deception ends with a divided heart. It begins with deceived and it ends with a divided heart. The departure from the truth the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart. Jesus told the world a spiritual reality. You cannot love two masters. You can't love the world and God. You can't love Jesus and love Satan. You can't love both. You're going to have to choose. In Luke 16, he says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one, love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Money in itself is not the main issue. It's not the main issue. This is a result of a divided heart. It is to be disheartened. You can't do it. Some people would say, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. I can live in the world. I can live in God. I can. You can't. You're just, you're just fooling yourself. You're living a deceived life. You can't love the world and love God. You must choose. You and I have very few things in our life we have control over. What you will do with your heart is one of those things. What you will believe to be true is one of those things. We either are all in or we're all out. Nobody wants to say that anymore. We're either all in or we're all out. Who told you you could have both? Our choices will have eternal consequences, good or bad. If you die in your sins, you will be forever cut off from the people of God and the presence of God in hell. And the love of God today puts you in this audience for you to hear that message. The grave and hell will take hold of the unforgiven and never let you go. It's a frightening thought. But if your heart remains faithful, if your heart remains fully committed to Christ, the second death has no power over you. And as of now, you still have a chance. I told you last week, you can still be modern day Enoch's. You are a child of God and your inheritance awaits you in the promised land and God never, ever, ever breaks his promises. It was two years ago this Saturday 
that one of the members of our staff, Brian Perry, died. Uh, we still struggle. I still struggle with it. I know his family's here, and I know they struggle with it too. It was several days after Brian died that I had the courage to open his door and walk in his office. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. It was several days later after he'd passed, and I finally stuck the key in the door and walked in and started looking around, and there was a handwritten note on his keyboard, just a piece of, a, a piece of paper that he'd written, and he had written down 2 Chronicles 16.9. So put up 2 Chronicles 16.9. Here's what he had handwritten. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Brian was all in. Brian Perry inspired me. He still does. And because Brian was all in, I don't worry about Brian. Brian made it to the promised land. He met Jesus at us. He'll be waiting for us when we get there. But I want you to notice something here. That God's looking around the whole earth looking for somebody who has an undivided heart. That's what some translations say. Fully committed, undivided heart. And he wants to find some people who, who are all in. And what does that scripture say he wants to do for the all in? To strengthen them. That's who I want. I want to be in that line. I'll ask Chad to come on now. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth, and he's looking for people whose hearts are undivided, that they love the Lord with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. Everything about them, they're passionate for the Word of God, passionate for the promises of God to be manifest in my life and in the lives of people around me so that he might strengthen me. I need that. You know why? Because we're in the wilderness, and we're at war, and not everybody makes it to the promised land. So today... That's it. That's it. Deceived, distracted, dissuaded, discouraged, disheartened. It ends with your hearts drawn away. You die in your sins unforgiven, forever separated from God in a place, a horrible place called hell. God is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. So we're going to sing a song, and that song is an invitation. And the invitation is if the Holy Spirit is communicating with you today, listen, do not harden your hearts as they did in the Old Testament. Don't harden your heart. Open your heart. Open your heart. Father, I pray, do your work. Who could come to you unless you call them? Call. Call today. Make the hardest heart their soul. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.